from the National Association of Evangelicals, welcome to today's conversation. Our topic, how to handle controversy. Host Leith Anderson, NAE president, talks with Philip Riken, president of Wheaton College. Let's join in. I'm Leith Anderson, president of the NAE, here with Philip Riken. Dr. Riken has been the president of Wheaton College in Wheaton, Illinois, since 2010. He graduated from Wheaton and also served on his board of trustees for four years before becoming president. Prior to Wheaton College, he served for 15 years at Philadelphia's historic 10th Presbyterian Church, including 10 years as senior pastor. He has published more than 50 books, including The Message of Salvation, Art for God's Sake, When Trouble Comes, and expository commentaries on Exodus, Ecclesiastes, Jeremiah, Luke, and other books of the Bible. He serves as a board member for the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities, the Lausanne Movement, and the NAE. Grateful for your leadership, Phil. Thank you for joining us. I'm really glad to do it, Leif. If I had known you were going to read all that, I would have made sure my staff sent you a shorter introduction. But uh, it's great to be with you on the podcast. I, I really appreciate what you do, really, for the whole evangelical community and, and your leadership at the NAE. Well, I could actually add a lot of commentary to your introduction, but let's just uh, focus on what we want to talk about today, and that has to do with controversies. And sometimes, maybe often, those are the kind of things you sort of want to leave behind. So special thanks for your willingness to talk on the topic. And our goal, by the way, is not to rehash the details of any particular controversies, but rather to learn and share some wisdom dealing with tough situations in meaningful and graceful ways that can be helpful to others. Anyway, I want to start with a quick story. Uh, Peter Drucker was called the father of modern management, and I was privileged to, on several occasions, spent uh, several days with him, and I learned a lot from him. One of the memorable quotes from him is he said that other than President of the United States, the most difficult jobs in America are those of the administrator of a large general hospital, the pastor of a large church, and the president of a university. So, Phil Riken, you have tackled two of the three toughest jobs, and I'm wondering if someday you're actually going to be a hospital administrator and, and you'll have done them all. Anyway. I'm, I'm applying for jobs right now, Leif, to, to try to make it a treble. Yeah, well, that's a tough job in the hospital. So, the question is, did you know what you were getting into when you accepted the presidency of Wheaton College? Yeah. So, you know, they, that Peter Drucker quote is one I've often used. And uh, one of the things I reflect on is, you know, like you, I was pastor of uh, a large congregation and there was a woman in our neighborhood who was a, a soccer mom and I was coaching my daughter's soccer team and she knew that I was a pastor. And she, she looked at me before practice one day as I was lacing up, up my cleats and she said, now, um, pastor, is that a full-time job? And I was like, yes, ma'am, it is. It is a full-time job. And, um, you know, these are these are challenging roles, I suppose. In, in one sense, I, I absolutely knew what I was getting into at Wheaton College. I grew up in this community. Um, we came here when I was one year old. Uh, my father's been teaching here now for 50 years. Um, and I had been on the board of visitors and board of trustees at the college. So they're coming in. There were not a lot of uh, big surprises. Um, on the other hand, I think our culture has become so much more sharply polarized than it was in 2010, politically polarized, in some ways theologically polarized, uh, racially polarized. Um, and I think uh, social media, even since 2010, has had uh, a big amplifying effect on um, 
the rapidity with which a story spreads. I think it has a negative impact um, on just how people engage with one another in the context of a controversy. So, um, you know, a lot of that I think is new and, and couldn't have been predicted or expected. And it's what I've faced at Wheaton and it's really what every, what every college president faces it to one degree or another. So back to Drucker for just a minute. One of the reasons that he picked those particular jobs is he said that they all serve multiple constituencies and those constituencies often don't align. So it's patients and donors, it's doctors and nurses, it's unions, it's compliance. Uh, for you, for a college president, it's students and faculty and donors and alumni. And whether it is social media or something else, they often don't align. So in addition to the complexities you've already mentioned, what, what are the other challenges that all these different constituencies represent? Yeah, so that's, you know, I, I absolutely think that's the case. And it, it's not just that they're different constituencies, but that they want very different things. Um, you know, what a, a donor that went to Wheaton College in the 1950s wants and what a prospective student uh, you know, in 2019 is looking for maybe two very different things. And I think one of the challenges with that is it's so tempting to tell each constituency what they most want to hear. And, and there's a place for um, framing things in a way that a particular person can understand. Um, but the challenge of being consistent in who you are and the integrity of your message and how people understand the institution um, I mean, I, I just remember uh, one time a colleague said this something to me that was really meaningful. He said, I really liked that video or it was something that was out on the college media. Um, he said to me, he said, because I felt like that's the same Phil Reich and I work with every day. And I said, that's that's so encouraging for me because that's that's what I, you know, that's something that I'm um, aspiring for. Uh, aspiring to be, you know, somebody who is a consistent person. The other thing I'll say is that sometimes the constituencies need a bridge figure who can help them understand one another. I remember this from youth ministry. Um, you know, when I was with a young person frustrated with their parents, what I wanted, I didn't want to feed their frustration. I wanted to help them understand where their parents were coming from. And by contrast, um, you know, I wanted I wanted to help parents understand where their kids were coming from, and I think uh, that's an important um, that's an important job on a college campus, but really for anybody in leadership, helping people in the community to understand one another, what they value, what their priorities are, and really to see the best in them in a way that brings the community together rather than tearing it apart. Well, your colleague gave you a great compliment, and consistency is one word for it. I guess I would say the word is integrity, and that is being the same person in uh, difficult-to-align circumstances. But as far as controversies are concerned, not just you, but you know a lot of other college presidents, private colleges and Christian colleges, uh, what, what are some examples of controversies that uh, college and university presidents are facing today? Yeah, you know, uh, to one way to answer that question, Leif, would be to just pick up today's Chronicle of Higher Education. Um, I think you could pick up one of those at random, and you'd find uh, a lot of the same, uh, a lot of the same issues. Some of the controversies on, on college campuses right now are around around free speech. Uh, who gets invited? Who gets uninvited? What do they have the freedom to say? Are certain views privileged over other views? 
And how do we handle it as a campus when somebody says something that's offensive uh, to one person or another person? Um, I think issues around uh, race and ethnicity are very polarizing in our culture, and it's quick for um, something that comes up to, um, you know, really become campus-wide or get wider media attention if there's a, an impression that uh, somebody from a particular background has, has not been treated well. Um, a lot of issues around sexual identity uh, generate controversies. I remember when I, when I started at Wheaton in 2010, one of the questions that I was asked uh, by a journalist and answered publicly was around kind of what do you think are the biggest challenges that you're going to face? And I said, I think one of the biggest challenges we're going to face is, is around issues of sexual identity. And at the time I said that, um, I think that was apparent to some thoughtful observers, but it wasn't apparent to everyone. I mean, some people, it's hard to even imagine that this was the case, but nine years ago, uh, some people were saying, really, that's going to be like the biggest challenge you face? Uh, but it's been a big challenge uh, for, for college campuses and not just uh, Christ-centered campuses um, either. And another thing, I mean, I could go on all day, I suppose, on this, but another thing is um, colleges have limited resources. The whole economic environment around higher education has been more challenging since 2008. And um, money isn't necessarily a, uh, a controversy all by itself, but when resources are limited, it um, forces you to examine priorities and people have different priorities. And so discussions around resources uh, tend to exacerbate uh, conflicts and controversies, maybe to clarify them. Um, but, you know, you know, as a pastor, Leaf, the same thing happens in a marriage when resources are limited. Um, it's not necessarily, um, you know, creating a new problem always, but it is maybe showing where some of the fault lines already are. And uh, I think college campuses go through that as well. When new controversies arise, whether you can predict them a decade in advance or not, um, can, can you learn from past lessons or is everyone so new that the past experience and the past lessons don't mean much? Yeah, you know, I, I incline more to the latter on that. I, I mean, I do think you, um, particularly if you're in a leadership role that involves the media at all, and, you know, college campuses definitely do, Wheaton College absolutely does, um, there are certain things you learn about um, how to address the media, what, what's helpful and unhelpful in a press release, um, and you do bring some of that past learning. I will say one thing we do as a campus, anytime there's a controversy, whatever its nature, we go back and we talk about, hey, how did that happen? How do we address that? What can we learn for next time? And the, what, what's surprising to me is how new each controversy is because the, the facts and the circumstances often have a very human deeply nuanced aspect to them, and no situation is quite like another situation. And oftentimes people can't understand that from the outside because they don't understand some of the things you're dealing with on the inside, which are unique to that situation. So I think the learning that you do is not so much, um, is not so much gonna help you resolve the next controversy, but it will help you uh, with a good process. Um, you know, how do we need to make sure that we hear the voice of faculty as we deal with this new unique issue? 
Um, what have I learned about keeping my board chair informed? Um, so I, I think there are some things that you can learn about process for addressing things that do help you in subsequent situations, even if there's a wisdom element that's always going to be situation specific. Faculty can have long memories, students not so long. And one of the advantages in dealing with students is if it's a four-year college, I mean, other than graduate students, they only have a four-year memory unless they've learned it from somebody else. When you have faced a controversy, and whether you've handled it well or not, does that put you in a stronger or weaker position when the next one arises? In other words, if you've handled one in the past, do they assume that, okay, he knows how to handle controversies? Or do they think, oh, well, if he didn't, if he handled that one, I would have done it differently, and now how can I trust him this time? Yeah, yeah, so, you know, you're right about long memories. I remember uh, one of my early years at Wheaton, I was on a panel at, um, Boston College, and there were a lot of journalists there, given the nature of the event. And I was asked a question about something that happened at Wheaton a decade earlier. Um, you know, some some controversies have a way of lingering, and that's very true in a church context as well. And um, sometimes it's hard to, you know, get to that place of healing and reconciliation. That's a process. It, it takes a while. I think um, one thing for me, just speaking personally, I think a lot of leaders would be able to relate to this, Leif. Um, the controversies you go through as a leader, um, they take it often takes a while to come to a place of healing from what you've been through. And if you've got another situation to deal with on top of that, sometimes the weight of that is cumulative. And on the one hand, you've been strengthened, you've gained some wisdom, possibly have gained some relational capital through a controversy. Certain, you know, it's been it's like a ship. Uh, the crew of a ship at storm, the storm throws you together and you learn to depend on, on one another. I mean, all of those things can happen, but you can also still be kind of worn out from the things that you're facing and, and something sometimes can be even more difficult to deal with. I think it really depends on who's looking at the situation. One thing that really strikes me as more important in life and leadership than I ever realized is how much room there is for judgment calls. You know, as, as, Christians who honor the authority of Scripture, we like to think in terms of right and wrong. This is the right thing to do. That's the wrong thing to do. And that's true for certain things. I mean, certain things are moral absolutes. But many, many, many situations in life call for the role of judgment in the application of biblical principles. And people of goodwill can have a very different perspective on what's the best judgment in a particular situation. Um, and there are things that help help with that. I mean, helping people understand, hey, this is a judgment call. I'm not saying this is something absolute, but here's the judgment call we made. Here's the reason we made it. Sometimes people can live with that, even if they disagree with it, if they think, you know what? Um, my perspective was considered. They went through a good process. I still don't like the outcome. But eh, you know what? That was a judgment call, and they had the right to make that judgment call, and I can see that they tried to be fair. Um, I do think whether people think that you really have integrity matters a huge amount. So, um, you know, I think that's true for anybody in leadership, you know, whether it's a church con church situation or a college or university or another Christian organization. You know, the more the people in your community can say, you know what, I don't understand that decision. I, I understand there are things that couldn't be explained, but I trust that person. I've got enough experience with that leader. You know, I've been with that person. You know, we've we've prayed together. We've talked through some things. And I, I 
I, I still have questions about all of that, but I still trust that person. Um, you know, that, that trust is not easily built, but it's, it's vital, I think, for effective leadership. So you've given leadership to two historic organizations, long history at 10th Presbyterian Church and at Wheaton College. They both have numerous iconic leaders from Blanchard to V. Raymond Edmond at Wheaton and Donald Gray Barnhouse at 10th Presbyterian Church. Uh, when controversies arise, is there a difference or are there more similarities between the church and the college? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, on the one hand, there are huge similarities. And my simple way of saying it, but you know, I used to say in, in church-based ministry, and you've probably had days late when you felt like this, um, you know, the church is the best. Christian people are the best, except when they're the worst. Um, and, you know, we, we had people at 10th Presbyterian Church, we've got people at Wheaton College, and that means all the frailties uh, and failings uh, of, and difficulties that come along with just dealing with people. And, and I, so I think at, at one level, the similarities to me are, are more striking. Um, there are some differences, though. I mean, I think the faculty is a unique constituency that's unlike anything that you face in the church. Um, it's a group of people that have been brought into your community very specifically because they are gifted at critical thinking, critical thinking in the best sense of the word. Uh, they're smart, and they're going to bring that critical thinking to every aspect of your campus community. And that, that requires, uh, uh, requires a patience. It requires, um, you know, an intellectual uh, gifting is a, you know, a, a challenge there. Uh, I also think the thing that you pointed to, students are actually the focus of your campus community, but they're only on a campus for four years. Um, you know, they really come and go. It's your staff and faculty that have the enduring um, leadership role on a campus community. And, and, and in a church, that's true to some degree. You've got people that, that come and go, but it's a little different because the institution is there for the students but they are the most um, transient group and they're the most changes there. So that, I think that's a, that's a difference. I also think um, churches can end up in the media, but I think college campuses end up in the media a little more quickly. Um, and I think dealing with the media is maybe a, an added um, complexity. Um, the other thing I'll say is um, one of the advantages a pastor has is you get an opportunity to cast vision for an entire congregation in person, face to face, every week, and you do, you much more rarely get those opportunities on a college campus. Your leadership is more mediated through your leadership team, and um, so that's um, I think that's a, a unique uh, unique challenge. And then the other thing is um, you've got a lot of people in different roles in a congregation. You've got volunteers of various kinds. But, um, you know, we're a very large employer with a huge complexity. I mean, I was just, we, I welcomed new employees recently. Wheaton College and our facilities team, we have somebody that lays tile full time. Um, and that's just one of hundreds and hundreds of different roles in our campus community. There's a complexity, vast complexity to higher education. N nothing is as simple as you want it to be. And so I think there's um, an inherent complexity of higher education that makes it a different kind of leadership challenge than, uh, than church-based ministry. Uh, you're a Bible scholar, um, a PhD from the UK, and um, the Bible is full of controversies from the opening pages of Genesis to the closing pages of Revelation. 
So what do you find there? Is there guidance, encouragement for you and for other leaders that come from the scriptures, particularly related to controversies? You know, all all kinds of things. I mean, I think just the fact that you pointed to, um, you know, there's hardly a leader you can think of that did anything significant in the Bible at all, that didn't face hardship, opposition, controversy, difficulty. Um, I think it's just very important to understand as soon as you can in a ministry leadership role, uh, you're going to have people that are frustrated with your leadership. You're going to have problems that you're not quite sure how to solve. You're going to have conflicts and controversies that arise. And I think the Bible gives us a really healthy, um, you know, healthy expectation of that. If I could paraphrase our Lord Jesus just slightly, you know, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. Uh, in this in this world, in this role, you will have controversy. But then Jesus also says, take heart. You know, I've overcome all the challenges of, of, um, of this world. I, I'll say, so I think just the example, normalizing the expectation of controversy, I think the Bible helps us with that. I also think um, it just gives us a lot of practical wisdom about how to handle things. Um, you know, uh, don't be angry in sinful ways. That's a really strong theme in the Bible. Um, the Holy Spirit is the one who brings spiritual change, not you. So that's why you need to be prayerful in a situation and ask God to do something that you're incapable of doing. Um, I think just the lessons that you have in scripture of perseverance is a big part of life. Um, big part of life is not quitting when you feel like quitting, uh, but persevering until God tells you it's time for a new calling. Um, you know, those are just like some of the ones that um, I think a gentle answer turns away wrath, I think is a really important one in, in the time of controversy. Um, you know, a lot of times um, I've been glad to take a little more time with a response to get the tone right in a way that then changes the other person's tone. Um, I think that there's a lot of practical wisdom for all of these things in the scriptures. Each leader has a style that uh, varies with circumstance. And I, I don't know if I'm asking you what your style is. If you want to, you can answer that. But some leaders just tackle controversies. They just take them on. There's some leaders who just delegate. It's somebody else's responsibility in the organization. And there are some leaders who run away from controversy. So I knew uh, a leader who he was actually in a number of organizations when a big controversy would arise. He would get in his car and drive to Canada. I mean, he literally did this. He would just cross the border. He advised other people to do that. He didn't actually last very long in the organizations that he led. But are there ways to avoid controversy before they build up? And especially, is there a style that is more inclined to help head off controversies before they get big? Yeah, those are those are great questions. Very tempting to drive to Canada in some circumstances. I, I can see the appeal of that. You know, in terms of leadership style, I think um, there is no one uniquely effective leadership style. I think effective leaders tend to have a style that fits the institution that they serve. Um, I also think that, um, you know, you can be adaptable to a certain degree, but probably not change fundamentally who you are. So that was, you know, I've been both, as it were, a number two and a number one in terms of leadership roles. And if you're in that secondary role, um, your responsibility, I think, before God primarily is to accommodate yourself and to the leadership style of the person you serve and compliment them, um, you know, in the sense of uh, using the strengths in your gifts that maybe counterbalance 
in an effective way, um, you know, what may be sometimes some of the limitations of the, the primary person. Everybody has their, their limitations. One of the things that's challenging, I think, is some controversies are not going to become bigger and getting involved would be an overreaction. And you let people work things out a little bit. And there's a, there's a patience with that. Um, but then there are other times where, you know, it's like a fire. If you don't stamp that thing out right away, um, and there's a lot of judgment in knowing which kind is which, and you don't always make the right judgment call. Just a couple of things I'll say about that. I mean, I, I can think of a situation where um, I just felt like it needed to be addressed absolutely immediately. This was a situation that needed to be addressed late on a Sunday night, and I had no hesitation about contacting members of my leadership team and saying, hey, you, you know, you need to be in my office in half an hour. Uh, you know, yes, I realize this is midnight on a Sunday night, but uh, this needs to be addressed right away. Um, and I think in retrospect, that was absolutely the right call. Uh, there are probably other things I would look back and I was a little more patient, thought maybe the situation would go away on its own and it didn't. And then you wish you had addressed it in a certain way. Um, you know, that's definitely going to happen from time to time. One One rule of thumb for me is just in talking to the people that report to me directly. Um, I like to know, are you merely informing about me about this so that I'm aware of it? Do you want some counsel or advice from me about how to address this situation? Is this a situation where uh, you think I need to be involved? And if not, at what point do you think I need to be involved? I mean, I like to have a good conversation around that for one thing. Because I may reach, I may have the wrong assumption. I, somebody may be coming to me with a problem. They actually don't. They really don't even want my advice or feel that they need my advice. Um, they just want an opportunity to process it a little bit and just share what's going on. Um, you know, kind of think, talk about it out loud in a way that helps them and they're fully capable of handling the situation. Um, so I think when it's clear that you need to be directly involved, you cannot shrink back from that. One thing I'll say about my own style is, um, which I think, I think there's a general principle here that's, that's good. I think it is important for a leader uh, not to overreact to a situation. Um, I'm not always successful at that. My children can tell you I'm not always successful at that. But um, I think it helps people just to realize, okay, I'm freaking out, but actually the president seems to be kind of calm about this. Now, I don't want to do that in a way that gives any impression of minimizing. So. I like to say, all right, let me help me understand this problem as clearly as you can. Let me say back to you what I think the problem is. I mean, it does not help people if they feel like you're not taking something seriously. I had a good conversation with um, somebody I really respect in pastoral ministry recently. They had some kind of threat to the congregation. It might have been kind of a physical threat or somebody that had acted in a threatening way or received a kind of an anonymous. And it would have been really tempting in that situation to kind of minimize it and say, oh, that'll probably never happen. Um, you know, I, I don't know how seriously we need to take this. And his instinct as a leader was to, to absolutely take it with, with maximum seriousness so that people would really think about how they should respond in the situation. And he wouldn't have to be arguing with anybody in his leadership team or within the congregation about somebody saying, hey, you're not taking this seriously enough. 
And then he would be in a leadership position of trying to minimize something that could turn out to be a threat. He wanted to ratchet it up so that it would be taken seriously and dealt with. And people didn't have to worry about it because they realized, okay, they're taking that seriously. I don't need to add anything. I don't need to help them see that it's, you know, needs to be taken seriously. So in, in that, and I, I think he would say in that situation, it wasn't an overreaction, but it was a kind of maximum reaction that helps set a context for people to actually address the situation. Boy, these, these things, there are a lot of judgment calls in these things, Leith. And, um, and I think, um, I do think at some level going back after a situation or maybe in the midst of it with people you really trust and just asking the question, um, hey, is there a better way? Was there a better way for me to handle that situation? Um, you know, so that even within your own style, which probably isn't going to fundamentally change, uh, you maximize the leadership strengths that you have for dealing with controversy. Some situations escalate very quickly, and with the escalation, the breadth increases. So you're dealing with something that's a few people, and suddenly it's campus-wide, or that it goes to the media, and it could be countrywide. And people want all kinds of information from you. And maybe it's information that you'd really like to give them because if they could get that information, they would get what you're trying to say, except you can't tell them. And I think particularly of personnel issues. So now you have the information that they can't have. What, what do you do in a situation like that? Yeah, it's really tough. I mean, the, I mean, you know enough about these things to know how important that question is. And I, I think I've got a lot of thoughts about this because I've had to deal with a lot of situations like this. I mean, one thing, there is a value to transparency, to openness. I think those are important values. I think we could point to things in the scripture that point in that direction. But there is also a place for discretion. That's an important virtue. Um, sometimes privacy is not only a virtue, but an important right. And um, I think if you're on the outside of leadership roles and haven't been in significant leadership roles, it's easy to think transparency is the only thing that matters. And it's also really easy to assume the reason they're not telling us more is because they have something to hide. I think that's kind of the natural default impulse. I've been in so many situations where uh, in some ways it would be much more convenient, uh, you know, to violate something legally, to do something that actually is not in keeping with, you know, important policies, just because if you, you felt like if people really knew what was going on behind this, if they really knew what had happened, um, you know, they wouldn't be coming after me this way or they wouldn't be criticizing the institution this way. Um, so, that, that, I mean, that's a very common um, occurrence. I think an important thing to do is, um, you know, to give leaders some benefit of the doubt. Um, having been in the kind of role I'm in now, I just give leaders a lot more benefit of that because I understand how complex and, and how there often are things that you can't share about things. I also don't take the view. I, I try to be careful. I don't say to people, hey, if you knew what I knew, you'd be making the decision I'm making. Um, what I do sometimes say is, um, I just invite you to realize you may not know everything that there is to know about this situation. Just like, Just take on board that possibility. And I think it's possible that if you were on the inside and knew everything that I know about this situation, that you would be able to see that the approach that's being taken here is a reasonable one. 
may not be that you still might. I mean, people can look at the same set of facts and come up with different interpretations. They can make very different judgment calls about the right thing to do in a situation. I like to leave a lot of latitude for that in leadership and in, and in relationships. Um, but I also like to, you know, help people see that there's a judgment call and maybe there's more to a situation. And let's make sure that our attacks on other people are based on facts we actually know um, and that they are proportional to our knowledge or lack thereof of a situation. Uh, I much prefer to get, um, you know, uh, email from a constituent saying, I realize, I realize I don't know everything about this situation. Uh, I also recognize that you're in a leadership role that I can't fully understand the burdens of. But I still want to express my concern. Here's the way it looks to me. I mean, I've got all, all, the, all the time in the world for that kind of response where they're recognizing, you know, the limitations of their knowledge. And we're finite and we bring our finitude to every controversial situation. Um, so I, I think those are important things that are maybe not as readily grasped in the community as at large, um, but that are really important for understanding controversies and, and why leaders are addressing them the way that they are or are not. So what do you do when this goes bigger to the media? So in Chicago, you hear from the Chicago Tribune or WGN, or um, maybe it's national, maybe it's the New York Times or 60 Minutes. How do you handle things differently when you're, you know, you're dealing with the press and dealing yeah. especially with uh, a large city and the national press? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, our, our mutual friend, Jay Barnsley, who's uh, president of Bethel University, was traveling in, in Africa one time. And Wheaton College had very famous, famously or maybe even infamously changed our, our policy on social dancing. This was some years ago. It was front page news. Uh, I don't know, he was in Nairobi or something like that. I mean, that's how quickly, you know, a story can go um, go very far afield. And sometimes it's surprising things that you really think, oh my goodness, this is definitely going to be a story for one reason or another, never do become a story. And lots of things that really aren't a story and never should be a story become a story for whatever, uh, whatever reason they do. Um, so, you know, we, we, we obviously have a, a media team at Wheaton College. I mean, we're, we're a large professional organization, so we have a lot of consultation. We pull together an incident team when we think something may be a media situation. We work very carefully on a consistent message that's a simple, clear message that will go out. We also, frankly, have to assume that internal communications will become external communications. I think one of the things that's really been hard for us as a campus community, something that's frustrating to me, there are lots of things that would be better dealt with as kind of a family conversation. Hey, let's talk about this as a community. Let's talk about what happened, how people are feeling about it, how they're relating to one another. Let's, but um, you don't get an opportunity for that because it, it very quickly becomes a national conversation. People are weighing in. They're, they're you know, attacking people from your community, which doesn't feel good, so they want to have an answer to give. Um, so, um, you know, those are, those are realities. One thing that I've observed, and I think this applies um, to lots of other areas of controversy, when we really have a problem, a wider problem, it's when people in our own community are not relating well in the context of a controversy. Even if they disagree, if they're relating well with civility and charity, um, that's not going to be amplified in a wider media context because what really sells in a media context is something where people are at each other's throats. Uh, the sharper the conflict, 
you know, the, the more polar, the quotes in the newspaper, whatever, um, that's what really is attractive people. The reconciliation is never going to get covered. So um, bringing people together relationally within your own community can really um, turn the flames on a controversy way down. So we need to know one another better. Uh, we need to treat one another better. We need to be leaning into all of those things. And we need to be, I, I think our student government at Wheaton College has really learned a lot of things. When a controversial issue comes up, they now have some really good practices for bringing a community together, bringing students together, not to argue with one another, not even necessarily to solve an issue, but really to listen to one another and pray to one another. And they've got, you know, some guidelines that we've worked on, on as a campus to, to help bring people together. And I think that applies to lots of, lots of other situations. If you've got a controversy within a family and a husband and wife are not agreed on how to approach it or what the process is, that's just going to make things worse. But whatever the controversy is, if they're together as husband and wife, now you're in a position where things can be worked through and, um, you know, it's going to move in all likelihood in a more positive direction. So I think um, working on the relational dynamics at the heart of a controversy as much as can be done, um, I think really helps. And when that's not working well, it really hinders. So some controversies you can anticipate, as you mentioned before, maybe nine years in advance, or some just totally come by surprise. You had no idea. And then sometimes you actually walk into a controversy and you have initiative. And Wheaton College did that with suing the government with the contraception mandate. So you sort of stepped up. How did you make that kind of a decision? Yeah, so... Um no, I think you're right. Sometimes you know something is going to bring a controversy. I think in that case, um, we may not have fully appreciated how polarizing the contraceptive mandate would become, not only outside, the, you know, not only Christian community against the non-Christian community, but even for some within the Christian community. So um, I, what I will say is, I, I think for us as a college, it really became a matter of principle about uh, our freedom to offer to our own employees uh, medical coverage that was fully consistent with our community covenant and not to be coerced in a way in an area where we thought that we should have religious liberty. The issue for us actually was not even simply that issue, but actually the wider principle that religious liberty was not going to be protected or recognized. And so it, it became, we thought, maybe for some, uh, a teachable opportunity to understand the importance of religious liberty, not just for us in this situation, but for every person in every situation. Everybody should have the freedom of their, uh, their conscience in religious matters. Um, that's not well understood in our society. And, and um, when important biblical principles at stake and are not well understood in society, that there will be controversy around that. Um, and so you try to be as well prepared for that as you can be. You try to help your own community understand why you're making the step that you're making. And then, um, you know, try to present your side of an argument persuasively. And then I think really let it go, um, not perpetuate a controversy uh, needlessly. If other people want to perpetuate it, you may have to answer it. But, um, um, you know, saying what, what you think most needs to be said and, and letting it speak for itself. Yeah, well, sometimes the good news is a new controversy comes along and it eclipses the last one that was there. 
Okay. Yeah, well, politicians are very good at playing that game, yeah, aren't they? Yeah, it's hard, harder yeah. to do that as a college, that's for sure. All right. The average American pastor, the average pastor is about six years, and the average tenure for college presidents in the United States is also about six years. So you have multiply beat the averages. So two questions, I guess, or complete them together, and that is, uh, why is tenure so short for these leadership positions? And then, how did you do this? How did you last longer than most do in these positions? Yeah, well, my mother's always thought that I was above average, Leith, so uh, I think she'll be gratified uh, with these factual details. I actually didn't know that the average tenure for American pastors is six years. It, but, yeah, I find that concerning. Um, I do think in certain, maybe particularly rural communities where the congregation is very stable, uh, it's good to have a fresh voice coming in with some regularity. But I also think there are lots of places, particularly urban environments, where boy, to really build something into a congregation, you're going to need at least a decade and faithfulness over a long period of time, you know, which you've lived out, Leith, and, and so many other people we admire have lived out. I think it really amounts to something um, over time. So I think aspiring um, to uh, a longer ministry, I think, is a good thing in itself. My overall view is you just stay where, you stay where God puts you until God makes it really clear he's calling you to something else. Um, I think the reason for the brevity of tenure in, in college presidents, it's been shrinking by the year. Uh, actually, it's under six years now. It's more like five years. It was more like seven when I started. It's been declining. Um, I think it's because the jobs are really hard. I think I think it's as simple as that. Uh, the time demands are just off the charts. Um, I also think um, the multiple constituencies and kind of run a, running afoul of this constituency or that constituency you know, can really be, um, can really be a problem. Um, I, you know, who knows why one person is able to stay for a certain period of time. I think I put a lot of stock in perseverance. I have some other college presidents. I know kind of what we say to one another is, Hey, you know, if you're even thinking of quitting, call me. Cause I, I know you're, I know you're right where you're supposed to be. Uh, you know, let's encourage one another. I think I really have been blessed with excellent colleagues um, not just in my own institution, but colleagues beyond that. Um, you know, my wife, Lisa, and I, we also have people we get together with regularly. Uh, we had a tremendous team in our church of elders that met once a month. Part of our arrangement there was uh, they could ask me any question they wanted to ask. They could also ask any question of Lisa that they wanted to ask without talking to me first. And if she had any concern, she could talk to them about the concern uh, without sort of needing to go through me to get to them. Um, I think some of those practices are really important um, just for faithfulness over a longer um, period of time. Another thing I'll say is, you know, I, I've really been blessed. I mean, I did an internship in Scotland with William Still at, at Gilcomston South Church in Aberdeen. He was in that pulpit for more than 50 years. Um, you know, I served, had the privilege of serving along James Montgomery, alongside James Montgomery Boyce, who did 32 years in, in Philadelphia, 10th Presbyterian Church. Those were the models for me. Um, and so I have never regarded anything as a sprint. Um, I've always thought, okay, I'm, I'm here until further notice. There's a certain mentality that goes with that that I think uh, can be helpful for a pastor or other leader in ministry. Good leaders have clear mission uh, and have often a clear dream. And then there's an unchosen controversy. 
so that what you really are about and what you really want to do faces a huge distraction. How do you balance those things out? How, how do you yeah. not let the controversy overwhelm you so you don't fulfill the mission that God has called you to? Yeah, you know, these are great questions, Leif, uh, and I know you've got as much experience uh, in all these things, if not more so um, even than I do. And I, to me, the distraction is one of the biggest frustrations, honestly. Um, and we'll sometimes in the leadership team say, oh, my goodness, I just can't believe how much time we're taking with this that could be better used in all kinds of other ways. Um, now, one of the reasons it takes so much time is because you're actually, there are a lot of people that are affected by a controversy. You're trying to care well for those people. So there's a, a ministry aspect, even of, of what is quote unquote, a distraction. Um, I just, I don't know if I've got a good answer for it. I'll just say it's, uh, it's really, really hard. And often certain things have to be set aside for a season because of the urgency of the moment. Um, I, I also think that's a really important place for teamwork because sometimes a controversy falls more heavily on one person on a team than on others. And so you need other team members that say, Hey, I know this is really tough. I know you're really um, worn out in this. Partly you're praying, you're encouraging, but you're also saying, Hey, is there anything I can pick up for you? Um, hey, I noticed, you know, we're going to work on this. Um, why don't I just, take that over and I'll, I'll report to you when it's done. Or, Hey, do you want to send somebody, you know, from your team over to handle that? I mean, so oftentimes you can help one another in practical ways if somebody is bearing the brunt of a distraction, but the reality is a public controversy is a huge distraction. <laughs> I also think, um, I just caution people, you know, people, a lot of people feel like something comes up, they've got something to say and they really want to weigh in on it. And, um, it's pretty rare so rare that that's actually very helpful. Um, I used to, you know, our, our church in Philadelphia, we had about 1,500 members. I, occasionally I said to people, look, you probably think that if you came to me with a complaint uh, once every five years, or like a constructive criticism, as you would call it, you know, that's pretty reasonable. I've only, you know, I've, once in five years, I go to my pastor. If all of you do that, that's somebody coming to me every day, which is a lot. So just realize, um, you know, choose your choose your moments. Uh, one thing I do, having been in leadership roles, if I've got an issue I want to address, maybe at the Christian high school where my kids are or something, um, I'll say, uh, I'll say, hey, I've got a comment about something. Just so you know, I'm not grumpy, and I'm not asking you to do anything. You know, and I just know. Uh, that administrator is going to be very happy to read my note because they know right away, okay, I don't need to like get my defenses up on anything. Nobody's angry about anything. And um, I also think a lot of times we people think they need to be angry to really get get hurt on something. I just almost never find that to be the case. I certainly don't find that to be the case on the campus of Wheaton College. If you've got a thoughtful concern, somebody will hear, will hear you out. But the point I was really sorry for that rant, Leith, but what I was really initially talking about was um, one of the things that can be distracting is all the people that feel like they need to weigh in on something, you need to hear their perspective on things. Just realize in most situations, particularly if it's public at all, whoever's in leadership, they're getting all kinds of opinions. Um, be, be pretty slow to speak. Uh, quick to listen, slow to speak. This is a really good time to apply that, that scripture uh, in the midst of a controversy. So maybe you've already just answered my last question, but let me see if you've got another word for someone who is a leader in a Christian ministry 
a college, a church, uh, a humanitarian organization, and they're up against it today, a, a controversy. So how do you encourage them? What, what's, what's the word of encouragement or wisdom to help them today? Yeah, so that's a great question. Actually, Leif, if you think about it, if they were having a controversy today, they don't have time to listen to a helpful podcast on how to deal with controversy. So these are the kinds of things you have to prepare for in advance. Um, you know, I, I just really think God is faithful. Um, and there's, there, there's no situation that is so bad that there is not some way to glorify God in it. And uh, questions I like to ask in the midst of something are, um, hey, what are you asking God to do? Um, how are you seeing God at work? Those are questions that can, I think, change the tenor of a conversation. In a lot of things, it seems like the end of the world at the moment. It actually turns out not to be the end of the world. Um, and I think it's important for us to be um, in some of our important daily routines. Um, you know, it, it's been meaningful to me. I feel like God has given me the grace, no matter what I'm going through, how difficult it is. I'm able, at the end of a day, uh, to walk into the bedroom of a child and sit down and be focused on, on them and say, hey, how did your day go? Uh, you know, what's going on? Um, and finding even small places in your life to serve somebody else. Um, these are things that I have found encouraging to my own soul um, and, and spirit. Um, I also find, you know, the longer I go on and maybe you find the same thing too, Leif. Um, you know, the more, the more I'm longing for, uh, the return of Christ, uh, the promised joys of eternity. Uh, I think the more difficulties you go through in life, the more, uh, real those promises become, the more important, uh, the heightened expectancy. And, um, you know, God, God never promised us, absolutely never promised us trouble-free leadership. He, he actually promises and he leads us to expect it'll be more Christ-like in its uh, pattern and therefore in its sufferings. Uh, but there is a crown of glory that's waiting. So I, I find all of those things encouraging for me and maybe they can be encouraging to others as well. Our guest on today's conversation has been Philip Ryken, president of Wheaton College. I'm Leith Anderson. And on behalf of us all, very special thanks to Phil. The National Association of Evangelicals is where we use influence for good. Today's conversation is one of many ways we connect and represent evangelical Christians in the United States. To discover more NAE topics and resources for you and your church, please follow along on Twitter at NAEvangelicals or on our Facebook page for the National Association of Evangelicals. And sign up for our email list when you visit our website at nae.net.